I hope you don't think less of me for admitting this. But there's a part of me, and it's a a pretty substantial part of me, that likes to sin. I have a lot of experience that makes me say that. I've been uh, through about 41 years of living, which means I've done a lot lot of sinning. And if you ask me, well, why did you do that? Don't you love the Bible? Don't you love Jesus? Don't you know the commandments? Why Why do you keep doing that? The honest answer would be, because part of me likes it. That's not the only part of me, and it's not a part of me that I'm proud of, but when I think of all the the things I've done, the lines that I've crossed, the times when I didn't follow Jesus with all of my heart, the the fact is, I I did it because it kind of felt good. Right? I mean, when I was going through my school years, and my, my buddies and I would, you know, kind of have these impressions of our more quirky professors, of those, those kids from grade school that we really didn't like. I mean, it, it, that's not nice. I wouldn't want people to do that to me. So why, why did we do that? Because it was fun. So fun it made our faces hurt when we talk like that in the basement at the sleepover. If you ask me why, when I was in grade school, why, why did I shoplift that G.I. Joe from the, the Kohl's department store? the beginning of my very, very short life of crime? (laughs) The answer would be because it was kind of exciting. And it was fun to take home a toy I normally wouldn't have had otherwise. And as I got older, if you would have asked me, Mike, how did you end up in that spot where you're like looking at things on the internet, clicking on links that you should not be clicking at? The answer would be is because in that moment, it kind of felt a lot better than life before the click. I take a million sins that I've committed, sit me on a folding chair, put a a bright light bulb above my head and ask me, why'd you do it? The answer would be, because I wanted to. (laughs) Now, you don't have to raise your hand for this question, but you too? (laughs) Why do we do the things that we do? If we know, like on paper, technically, According to Jesus and the eyes of the church and the Bible, this isn't what we should do. So why, why do we do it? And the simple answer is because there's something deep within us that just wants to. It, it excites us. It, it feels good. It's very interesting. It feels much better than the other options of obedience. Right? Why does a kid who's playing video games next to his brother or sister take an extra turn? Why does he grip that little controller with dear life? It's not fair. You won't want to be treated that way. So why does he do it? The answer is, because he wants to. It's more fun playing the game than sitting there and watching it. Why when you're on the highway and they're merging lanes of traffic and you're waiting patiently in line, why is there that one jerk who just zips by you and just cuts in front of it? Some of you do that, don't you? <laughs> like, well, well, why would you do that? You don't like it when people do that to you, cutting in line. And the answer is, because they want to. Because getting to the destination faster is way more interesting than sitting there, putting along, idling in thick traffic. You know, when, when you have some, like, beef or tension with someone at work or at school, instead of, like, talking with them face-to-face in a hard conversation, why do we, instead of talking to them, why do we talk about them? Why do we vent to our significant others or, you know, go off when we get home to our spouses or our best friends? Why, why the, we don't like it when people do that to us. Why do we do that? The answer is because it's easier. 
feels better. Confronting someone face-to-face is awkward and uncomfortable. So pick a sin, any sin. Why do we drink too much? Why do we get high? Why do we kind of turn a blind eye to all that stuff about sexuality and marriage and divorce in the Bible? And I think your answer is going to be the same as my answer because there's something in you, in us, that wants to. The Bible's really honest about that. It says that whether you're a church person or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, there's something in all of our hearts that just wants what it wants. Whether it's right or wrong, in the moment, it feels really good and we choose it and we seek it and we desire it and we do it. And because of that, there are people who want to be pleasing and want to be popular who will tell you this. What if you didn't have to choose? Like, it's hard to say no to that thing inside of our hearts. What if you didn't have to say no to it? What if you could do what you wanted to do? How do we say it? What what if you could live your truth, be true to yourself, live your authentic life, search inside for what's right or wrong? What if you could do that and still end up with, with this, with Jesus? What if instead of fighting it and going to war against it and resisting it and denying it, which feels like you're like crucifying a part of your heart, what if instead of all that, you could just do what you want, have fun, and at the end of the day, God's grace and his forgiveness and his love will save you? There's always people in ancient times, biblical times, in modern times, who will say that. You you don't have to choose. God is good and God is love and his love endures forever, so just do what you want to do and you're going to end up in a better place because you're not Hitler. But last week, if you were here, uh, Jesus' half-brother Jude said, "Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. That is not what actual people who believe in God, who love Jesus, do. Like, real Christians repent. Real Christians struggle. Real Christians stumble. Real Christians mess up. Real Christians feel that thing inside of them. Real Christians make a thousand decisions. They look back and say, God, why did I do that? Real Christians do all of those things. But the one thing that real Christians do not do is harden their heart against God. Now, they don't get used to sin. They don't live in it. It might be the millionth time we've fallen, but we come back to God, and instead of concealing it and holding on to it, we breathe it out, and we ask for his mercy and forgiveness. Now, if you missed that message, if you can handle it, put a helmet on, go online, listen to it again. Um, Jude was really tough with us. He was blunt about the need of repentance for Christian people. But today, today I want to speak to those of you who maybe, you know, don't need to be smacked in the face with that truth. I want to speak to those of you who are a little bit anxious and afraid because of that truth. Because there are some people, and I could name names of people who are here today, who when they hear that, you have to repent. You can't live in sin. You can't get used to it. You can't get numb to it. You have to fight against it. When they hear that message, what they do, instead of walking out the door in anger, is they panic. And they start to think, what if I don't make it? I mean, I I struggle with sin all the time. What if I... What if I fall away from Jesus? What if I lose my faith? 
what if I stop feeling bad about this and a year down the road, five years down the road, I'm one of those people who just used to, used to be a follower of Jesus and now I'm just following myself. What if I miss out on heaven? If you're a person who struggles with anxiety or depression, I can almost guarantee this thought will come into your mind. You know, I always describe anxiety as living in a what-if world. What if I fall away? What if I stop believing? What if, what if, what if, what if? And if you battle depression and just, you know, negative thinking is instinctual for you, you, you just jump to that negative spot. What if I end up as one of those, they're all over in the Bible. What if I'm the next one who loses their faith? I think Jude knew we would wrestle with that. Jesus' brother Jude, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, um, he had this divine insight to know that people tend to choose one or two paths. One is pride and the other is panic. You know, people who are proud, boom, they're going to be smashed in the face with the truth. No, 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 you can't play God and act like Lord and end up with the actual God and Lord in heaven. It doesn't work that way. You need to be called to repentance. But what if you're not there but here and you're, you're panicking? And Jude has a beautiful word for you today. I won't promise you it's the main theme of his book. He spends most of his time over here. But in the very last verses of the book of Jude, he gives such an incredible promise that today I want to spend an entire sermon on basically a single sentence. The two little verses tucked in way at the end of Jude, there's this like tough sandwich and there's this little piece of bread and hope. And if you're a person who often feels anxious or worries or wonders or gets depressed or thinks, I'm not going to make it, Jude has a beautiful word of hope for you today. So, before I read those verses to you, grab your bulletins, write this down. Here's the big idea that Jude's going to share with you. He's going to say that sin feels good. Yeah, it, it, temptation is so tempting. There's something in me and in you that wants to. Sin feels good. But here's an amazing truth. But God, big, beautiful God, glorious God, God is better. Yep, sin feels good. <laughs> the Bible admits it. But don't panic because God is better. Let me read to you the end of the beautiful book of Jude. Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. To him, to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore and what a perfect word to end on amen <laughs> yeah, Jude has this really tough message about repentance but he doesn't end up depressed or worried or afraid he's pretty jacked up about God you see that he's like nope to God my Savior my Lord glory majesty honor power authority back then even now forevermore this is what I believe Amen. He's, he's ending with a word of hope. And, and why does he feel that? Well, it's because of what comes first. <laughs> he says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. There is so much gold and hope in those verses. What I want to do is just break this down phrase by phrase and help you to see when you're worried about losing your faith, when you think you're not going to be repentant enough there's a God who steps up to help, to save, to keep, and to bless. 
So I gave you some space in your programs. If you want to write down some notes, even though there's not some blanks here, let's start with this phrase. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. You think, oh, I'm, not, I'm not able to not stumble. Fine. Yep, you're weak. You're sinful. Me too. But God is able to keep you from stumbling. When you think, I'm trying to follow this narrow road to heaven and I'm going to trip up and there's all this temptation, I'm going to fall away. Judah's saying, but God, the God who didn't just like save you and said, I'll see you in heaven. No, the, the God who walks beside you each day, just when you're going to stumble and fall on your face and lose your faith, he catches you. God is able to keep you from stumbling. When you feel like, I, I can't, I, I won't, I don't, Jude says to you, but God can. Beautiful words. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Next, one of my favorite lines. And here's what else God can do. God can present you before his glorious presence. <laughs> now, if you're brand new here, what you don't know is that the presence, the glorious presence of God is like my spiritual addiction. I think it's what the Bible is all about. Getting into the presence of God because no one gets into the presence of God. No one sees the face of God and says, hmm, yeah, okay, I guess I could do this for a bit. <laughs> no one in the history of heaven has ever yawned. Not a single time. No, do you know what people do when they see God? <sighs> oh, the, word, the word glorious is just a word that means Oh, the presence of God. <sighs> Have you ever been to the Grand Canyon before? It's like getting to the edge. And you've seen pictures on the internet, but you stand there. <sighs> you ever been camping in like a really dark, desolate place and you see the stars lit up like never before? <sighs> you ever had a kid or a grandkid and you're sitting on the carpet and she takes those first like, <laughs> stumbling drunken steps with a big smile on her face. <sighs> like th those feelings are glorious, but the presence of God is glorious-er. And, and Jude says, here's what my God is able to do and your God. He is able not just to keep you from stumbling, he is able to present you before his glorious presence. Oh my goodness. You, there, the Lord is able to bless you and to keep you until you see his face shining upon you. So have you notice that, that there's a blessing we use almost every Sunday at our church at the end? And it's not just, hey, God's going to be nice to you. No, what we say week after week is the Lord bless you and keep you. The God who saved you and forgave you, may he keep you. Keep you for what? So that his face shines upon you. You see it now just by faith as, as I preach, but one day you won't have to use faith. You'll see his face. May God keep you into that very moment. And Judah's saying, that's not just some nice thing to say. My God is able to do that for you. But if you're the anxious type, you think, but if I stand in the glorious presence of God, what's he going to think about me? How many times did I sin? How many times did I want that thing instead of God's thing? 
And Jude says, okay, one more thing for you. <laughs> to him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence, listen to these two words, without fault. The followers of Jesus will be presented into the very glorious presence of God without fault, without flaw, without sin. They'll be blameless, perfect, priceless, and holy. Because Jesus is like this. Did you know that for about half of my life, I, I squandered my future inheritance on sports cards? Um, my parents would probably be billionaires if we had just invested that money instead of buying me cards at every single store we went to. I collected hockey cards and baseball cards, football cards, basketball cards, all the cards. I, di I didn't have hundreds of cards or thousands of cards or tens of thousands of cards. I had half of a walk-in closet filled with cards. I love them. I thought they were going to make me rich and famous. It turns out there were a million other kids my age doing the same thing, and I sold them all for like 20 bucks at a garage sale. <laughs> Actually, I was so uh, infatuated with hockey cards. One time when I was in middle school, high school, I think, I wrote 50 handwritten letters to the most famous hockey players in the NHL, and I would wait every day for the mailman to come to see if something glorious would be back. Like this one. My ultimate hockey hero, the Russian rocket himself, Pavel Bure. Do you know who that is? Have you ever heard of Candace Cameron Bure from the Hallmark movies? Now you're nodding, which makes me super depressed. All right, she married Pavel Bure's brother, also a hockey player. I sent him a card, and Pavel Bure himself signed it. And there was much rejoicing that day at the mailbox. <laughs> I mean, this came back, but I mean, think of how frail this little piece of cardboard is. You can, you can crunch the corners, you could crease it, you put it in a drawer, it can get messed up. So what did I do as soon as I got this amazing blessing? I put it in this case. Like, you put your best cards in thick plastic cases so they can be kept and guarded so that they stay flawless and perfect because if something is flawless, it ends up being priceless. Like this ding would mess up the card, but the card's not messed up because of the case. Some of you might know the YouTuber named Logan Paul recently bought a very rare Pokemon collector card, like this limited edition Pikachu. Do you know how much he paid for it? In flawless condition, he paid $5.2 million for a Pokemon card. <laughs> what was I thinking? Man, Pokemon, that was, the key to, that was the key to my riches, right? When something is in flawless condition, it's worth more than you think. And what is Jude saying about Christians? He's saying there's something that keeps us in flawless condition. He's saying you're right. You might be weak, bendable, creasable, stainable, but it's not just you anymore. If you're a Christian, if you are in Christ, guess who is on every single side of you to keep you from being flawed in the sight of God? The case is Christ. And if Jesus didn't just save you and walk away from you, if he blessed you and then he kept you, 
if he saved you and then he preserved you, this fear and anxiety we have that we're not going to be good enough when we get into the presence of God, it's, it's just not true. If the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin, then every, every corner, every nook, every cranny of your life is flawless in the eyes of God. The, the New Testament gushes about this. Remember the passage, husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up to make her holy cleansing her with water through the word to present her as a radiant church without blemish, but holy and blameless. If you believe in Jesus, if you're connected with him, the blood of Jesus is this case that keeps you safe from everything that would be offensive to God. And I I guess this card could worry, but the case is going to keep it from being creased. And, And you could worry what God thinks about you, but he already knows what he thinks. And the case that is Jesus Christ will keep you and preserve you until you see his face. (laughs) Which explains the last thing that Jude says. Because to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, I love this line, and with great joy. (laughs) When I study for sermons, I have these really kind of nerdy academic Greek to English dictionaries. And I looked up the phrase, great joy. Like, what did that mean in Greek? And here's what one scholar says it means. Quote, a happiness that implies verbal expression and bodily movement. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Professors are funny people, aren't they? (laughs) A happiness that implies verbal expression and bodily movement. And I wrote in my notes, not German. Right? Not, <laughs> not like this stoic, I am happy, you just don't know it. No. Verbal expression, I'm, I'm saying it, and bodily movement, I'm, I'm showing it. You know, if you're, if you're like 35, 40 years old, this is, you know, this is what we would do. Woo! You know, we'd raise the roof. If you're like a teenager, 20, you say what every Gen Z person says, you'd say, let's go! Right? Like all the kids do these days. Verbal expression, bodily movement. I'm jacked up about this because my God did not just save me. He kept me without fault to stand before his glorious, glorious presence. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to, I don't have to panic about it. Like I am a child of God. I don't like sin even though I struggle with it. And God has made a promise to people like me. I'm going to make it. Philippians 1.6, the God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. John chapter 10, my sheep know my voice and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Romans chapter 8, the God who predestined you and saved you, he will will keep you and preserve you into eternity. God makes promise after promise to his repentant people. Don't panic. Uh, I got you. So, what do we do with these words? Let me make two quick applications. First, To those of you who are maybe reluctant about church and faith and Christianity, uh, maybe you're a guest here today, maybe you're watching at home, and the, the reason you're kind of reluctant about being a Bible person or a follower of Jesus is because you think that that stuff you really like to do, you're going to have to give it up. Instead of embracing it, celebrating it, living it, your habits, your words, your relationships, your sexuality, like you're so afraid. Well, what kind of life would I have if I didn't do that? Here's Jude's answer. You will lose that, but you will gain so much more. Like, yep, you're going to have to 
take up a cross, deny yourself and follow. Jesus one time honestly said, it's going to be like you lose your whole life. But whoever loses their life for my sake, he promised, will gain real life. You will give up this temporary life and what will you get instead? <sighs> to be presented in the glorious presence of God forever and ever. Happiness like you have never felt. It is the better of the two options. And so if you're reluctant, if you're dragging your feet, if you say, no, I, I want to make my own decisions, define my own truth, live my own life, Jude is saying to you, you can, but, but you will lose something so much better. And it's not too late. It is not too late. You can call on the beautiful name of Jesus today and be saved. You could stop holding on to your sin. You could could breathe it out, confess, repent, and you could breathe in your immediate salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. If if you're on the fence, if this is like your girlfriend's thing or yeah, your parents are super religious, I'm going to tell you today, this is your chance. It's not too late. The gates of the kingdom of God are open for you and his Smiling, shining, glorious face. We'd love to see your face too. But if you are a Christian like I am, if you sometimes think about this, this thing inside of you that likes to sin and you wonder, you, you freak out, you feel anxious, what if I don't make it? Today, I just want you to know what Jude says, yes, you will. You will. It's that same sinful flesh that makes you doubt it or question it or wonder about it. But today, God has made you a promise by the blood of his son. You're going to make it. You're going to get to that finish line. Jesus might have you by the foot, dragging you across the line. (laughs) You might be so weak, you wonder what God's going to think, but he's going to get you, stand you, and God's face is going to shine upon you. Don't panic. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't. Don't assume the worst because our God and our Savior, he is the best. I love the summary of this teaching. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. It's going to be such a good day. Yeah, there's an old uh, Christian song, pretty popular years ago, I Can Only Imagine. Have you heard it? Uh, like, what? Do you ever do that? Do you ever just, you ever just try to think ahead? What, what's it like to see God? What, what do you do? What do you feel? Do you, do you dance? Do you weep? Do you fall on your knees? Do you chest bump an angel? Do you hug Jesus? Like, what do you do in that moment? And, and the answer is, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know this. It, it takes the best, most exciting, thrilling, heart-moving moments of this life and it exponentially increases them. I thought about that uh, just a month ago. My family and I took a road trip that went through Canada. We stopped in Toronto and we visited the Hockey Hall of Fame, which is where we saw one of the greatest championship trophies ever. Let me show you a picture. The Stanley Cup. Have you seen it? Uh, they keep it in the, like this massive room. It used to be a huge bank lobby, I think. And you, I think we were the first ones into the room. We stepped in there. Wow. 
And then what was super cool after seeing the Stanley Cup and touching the Stanley Cup and snapping a picture with the Stanley Cup, the actual Stanley Cup finals were on TV. And the team that was about to win the championship, the seconds were ticking down. It was so close. And have you ever, have you ever seen, even if you don't like hockey, you'd love this moment. These guys are just waiting on the bench. Three, two, one. <gasps> they take their gloves. <laughs> are flying, bearded men are hugging, weeping, thanking their parents. They're like celebrating with great joy. Verbal expression and bodily movements happened <laughs> all across the ring. They are so excited. And, and the Bible's saying it, it's like that. It's like that. Be, being a Christian is not easy. It's not always convenient. It's like running a long race. It's like fighting a good fight. It's like being a farmer working long hours in the field. But, but let your mind imagine to that moment when it's all done, when the seconds of your life tick down and you stand in the glorious presence of God without a single fault, when he looks at you and says, wow, and your heart, <laughs> and that feeling just doesn't last for one season. It lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. <laughs> Judah's no fool. When he ends a tough message about the Christian faith with these words, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. If you believed it, if you love it, if you want it, then would you join your voice with mine and speak Jude's final word? Amen. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we thank you for your grace and for your strength. Uh, it took grace to send your son for sinners like us. It took unconditional, undeserved love for Jesus to give his very life on the cross for the people who are doing their own thing. We thank you today for your grace that gives us mercy and salvation. And now, God, we thank you for your strength. Uh, you're not just a, a kind, compassionate counselor. You are a mighty, supernatural king who rules all things. The devil may be strong, but you are stronger. This feeling in our hearts may be relentless, God, but you are better. Our questions and doubts about making it to the finish line may be constant, God, but you are infinite. And so we remind ourselves that you are a great God. We pray that our hearts would magnify you, make you big and beautiful and glorious so that fear and anxiety and depression, sin and deception do not get the last word. Instead, we start to say with confidence and faith, my God's got this. God, you got me. You started something in us and you're going to see it through. And so, Father, I speak a, a strong word against everyone here who struggles with anxiety, everyone here who just assumes they're, they're too messed up or flawed to be forgiven. God, break through their hearts and help them to see that what Jude says is not just his opinion, it's a word from your heart. May they find a peace that goes beyond understanding, knowing that the God who blessed them will keep them and his face will shine upon them forever and ever. We pray all these things in the glorious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.